Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo, and today we've got a really special show for you. Today, I am bringing you someone who is going to share with you the insights of at least a thousand different entrepreneurs, maybe even 10,000 different entrepreneurs. You see, today I'm interviewing my friend, Mark Taylor, and he is a business coach. He's a master chair, and he's a speaker, a professional speaker, but he interacts probably with more business leaders than just about anybody you're going to meet because his role is to bring out the best in all of us. And he sits back and asks questions and helps people get to the root of what may be holding them back. In his career, he's seen a lot. He's done a lot, but you can multiply what most of us will see and do by at least 10 or 15 or 100 times. And then you'd have Mark because he is exposed to dozens and dozens and dozens of different businesses each month. I'll let him give us the exact number and he's going to share the insights and secrets he's discovered from those businesses. Join me in welcoming Mark Taylor to the Inside BS Show. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. All right. So exactly how many businesses have you ever sat back and counted? How many businesses are you exposed to each month? I work with about 130 CEOs, senior executives, and leaders. And probably there's about close to 100 different organizations because some organizations have multiple leaders in my leadership development programs. So you've seen a lot. How did you decide that this was going to be what you wanted to do at this point in your career? How did you decide that you were going to expose yourself to all these different businesses and help bring out the best in the leaders of these businesses? What what was it for you that led you to, to where you are right now? Uh, 1976, I started my first business. It was April of 1976. And I remember the excitement and the thrill of starting up an organization. You know, I rented an office, I hired salespeople, I bought office furniture, I put an ad in the yellow pages. In October of 1976, I remember closing the door after I sold my office furniture, laid off all my employees. I remember tears running down my face as I tore the sign off saying the name of our company off of the door as a failure. And that failure haunted me. I I didn't understand what I did wrong. I I had thought that um, I dropped out of college to start this business. I thought because I didn't have a college degree. And, you know, I come from a blue collar neighborhood where almost nobody went on to college and and I got the opportunity to go to college and I dropped out. So I thought maybe I'm just too dumb to run a business. And uh, I ended up getting a job in corporate America. They had an educational reimbursement program. So I went back to school. I got my bachelor's degree and I thought, hmm, I don't really understand. I got an MBA and I still didn't understand, but I was miserable in corporate America. And in 1989, my wife uh, saw how much I was stressing out and said, why don't you go back into business? And I said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of failure again. We can't afford to fail. We have three kids. And she said, you know, we're young. I'm here. I'm going to support you 100 percent. And so we took the plunge. And it was a a business where, you know, we had uh, it was like think of Travelocity for shipping packages. It was a software that would tell you whether or not it was better to ship at UPS or FedEx or USPS. And uh, I was originally the software programmer, the salesperson and the and the bookkeeper. And and I hired graduates. And, and as I hired more and more employees, I was still the micromanager on steroids. I I was the first one in the morning. I was the last one there at night. I uh, checked every line of code before it went to a customer. I checked every invoice before it went out. I checked every proposal before it went out. There was no way I was going to let this fail. And I was working nonstop. Um, and I do have a wife and three kids. And I, and I can say that I didn't see much of my wife and three kids during the first five years that I was in business. It was you know, it's one of the costs that I and regrets that I have nowadays. 
Um, but a CPA introduced me to this organization called Vistage, and it's a CEO peer advisory organization where other CEOs help you to become a better leader, to get better results, and to make better decisions in your organization. And joining that, it, it changed my life. And I really learned that I didn't fail the first time because I was stupid or I didn't fail because uh, uh, I wasn't smart enough. I didn't have a group of peers around me to challenge my decisions, to question my answers. And once I joined Vistage, I learned to become a CEO. I, I learned how to delegate. I learned how to hire an executive team. I learned about key performance indicators. I learned about strategy. Every single month, I would go to a meeting and learn something new and apply what I learned. And when I, and as a result, my business grew uh, to become the 58th fastest growing company in the state. And we were profitable every single year. I uh, sold the business in 2005. And, and I thought, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? And it was really the opportunity to serve other business owners who very few people have an understanding and a compassion for. Uh, but I know the struggle. I, I know the sleepless nights. I know the worries and the anxieties of running and owning your own business. And, and I wanted to help my peers to, to have a better life, to, to increase their effectiveness and enhance their lives. No, that's, that's tremendous. And what a, what a story. I, I think there's probably some type of failure in the background of just about every successful entrepreneur I know. So, you know, you're, you're, you, we should all feel good when we have that failure because we know that great things are coming afterwards, right? Yes. Mark, Mark talk a little bit about um, your, so how did you go then from, so you're, you're this business owner and your business is doing great. You're a part of Vistage. And then what happened? Somebody came along and made you an offer and you sold the business and, and then you decided, hey, listen, I want to give back. Is that is that how it worked? Your your business was was successful. And it was bought by someone else. And that's when you made that move. That would be a nice way of putting it. But uh, really, it was um, it was my Vistage group that helped me to see that, uh, you know, I'd been in business now from, you know, 1989 to uh, 2005. And, and I saw that the internet was a thing. And we had taken our software from a DOS platform into a Windows platform. And, and I wanted to take advantage of the internet. And our own engineering and the cost to do that would have been in excess of a million dollars. You get to a point in business an age where you become more risk adverse than when you were younger. And I didn't want to spend that money out of my own pocket. So I met a guy from Greenwich, Connecticut that successfully raised money and says, hey, we use other people's money. You know, you don't use your own money and you and I will become partners and we'll raise money and we'll get so much money. We'll create the best thing in the world and it'll be a software as a service. It'll be an Internet based solution. So that's what I ended up doing as I sold uh, my company uh, to the larger company became 50% owner and um, we raised $20 million to develop this new technology uh, in the in the internet and uh, went public in 2007. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Well, that's that's an even better story than than the story that I pitched you. So I'm glad it worked out the way you said it. <laughs> All right. Now talk about um, becoming uh, going from being the person in the room right? Getting the advice from everyone else to now you have to become the person in the front of the room facilitating that advice giving process, right? Because you don't, you give advice when people ask you for it. But my perception is you're one voice of the 15, let's say in the room and your, your job really as a chair is to bring out the advice that and lay it out in front of the person who's got the issue and then let the person who's got the issue you know, work through which of the advice they can use and can't with your help and guidance. How did you, how did you feel? What was it like to go from being just one of the people in the room kind of participating in that 
to now you have to, you know, for now, now you've got like six groups, but at the time, you know, when you started, you probably started with one, I would imagine. And you have to facilitate that process. What was that transition like? How did you, how did you prepare yourself for it? And how did it feel when you first started doing it? It was a rough transition. I, I, I remember going uh, to my first uh, member, which was the CEO of a company with 1,200 employees doing $120 million in business with a board of directors with people from Goldman Sachs and Saks Fifth Avenue on his board. And I was sweating after every single thing thinking, wow, what am I going to have to say to this guy? How can I help him? And you know what I eventually learned was that the job of a Vistage chair, the job of a coach is not to have the answers. In fact, I'm more in the back of the room than I was as a CEO, because in the CEO role, I was in the front of the room. My job is really to facilitate a process, to make a room safe so that people can be vulnerable, so that, uh, that the wisdom in the room is what comes up. And I think that's one of the hardest transitions for a chair, for a coach, is that it can't be about you. It really has to be about serving uh, serving everyone in the group. And it's not just serving the person with the issue. It's letting everybody contribute, everyone have a voice. And so many times I want to say what I think, because, of course, we always still think that we're right. But I'm, I'm biting my tongue. I'm pressing my lips together and I'm just letting it unfold in the room and occasionally I'll, I'll nudge it if it uh, seems to be stuck, but I'm, I'm not there to give advice. I'm not there to give the answers. And how do you, how do you make sure that things stay focused and on track? Because we all view each situation through our own lens, right? So somebody could be an Invistage, we call it processing an issue, right? So somebody raises a problem they're dealing with. And so the, and the room has, you have a specific process that you use and we don't need to get into that with people today, but the, in the room, the, the folks that are there are giving their, they're asking questions and then they're gonna give their feedback, their opinion. How do you keep that on track? What do you do to make sure that it doesn't go down a rabbit hole that you know may not be beneficial for the person who's got the the actual issue? And you have to do it in a way that I mean, you got if you got fifteen people in the room, you got fifteen egos, right? So you got to do it in a way that you make sure that you're not offending somebody. Because I mean, at the end of the day, everybody needs to feel heard, but not everybody's advice is going to be appropriate. In the moment, so how do you how do you make that happen? You ask tough questions, Dave. These aren't easy answers. But you're good at this, though, so you do it intuitively. Just tell us how you do it. So you know, keep in mind, I'm in New York City, and you know, the people in the room have a reputation, and and some of it may be earned. They're they're you know they have thicker skin than maybe other places in in the country. Um, and I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Michigan. So people think that I'm 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 nicer. You know, and they think of me like a Canadian. Uh, uh, so I think that there's some level of trust there in the way that I that I kind of I call it nudging people. But you know, you begin to sense that, that it's going down a rabbit hole. And I use my my own body as my instrument. That's uh, one of the things that I've learned in coaching school. Um, and I've had to work at this because as the CEO, I thought I had to have all the answers. I, I've gone through five different coaching schools and certifications to get good at tuning into myself and noticing, hmm, I'm feeling this is going down a rabbit hole. And, and I might even say that. And I think we're off track here. Maybe we should go back towards the question. Maybe even when we were processing your issue, I think I said that. Is this really the issue at hand? Can we reframe the question? Because I sensed that we were going down a track that wasn't going to be useful to to, to you. So it's uh, you know it's a gentle firmness uh, is I guess how I would say the way of being is, and it's being present and tuning into what's going on in the room and uh, and doing your best to to serve everyone and you know the person bringing the issue. All right. So now let's talk about the the advantages to a group environment versus just having a having an individual coach, right? And you know, for for 
for my purposes, I think there's for I'm going to I'm going to talk about it from the standpoint of a participant. And then you can add to it from the standpoint of the facilitator, having seen more of it than than I have, obviously. For me as a participant, of course, when I get one-on-one feedback, when I get feedback on my issue from everyone in the room, that's valuable. But I get as much value from listening to other people and listening to the folks in the room help other people because I may have the same issue as somebody else, but I didn't think to raise it or part of that issue may be similar to an issue that I have. So to me, that is, as a participant, that is a huge portion of the value in a group coaching scenario versus a one-on-one coaching scenario. As a facilitator, as a coach, what do you see the the value, some of the some of the advantages of being in a group versus one-on-one? Yeah, another great question. One of the the, the coaching trainings that I went through was um, based on the book Tribal Leadership by Dave Logan and John King. And it was research that they did on 12,000 people over, or maybe it was 10,000 people over 12 years, of, but a large study. And, and they found that uh, people fell into different groups and that the top two groups outperformed the bottom three groups three to five times. And one of the unique factors of that group was that uh, the, the highest performing groups was that they, they met in small groups. They didn't meet one-to-one. And so I began experimenting with this when I when I became a Vistage chair 12 years ago and meeting in triads rather than doing one to one coaching. And what I found was and what their research said was that a one to one situation is very useful if like I'm trying to teach you a skill. If I'm working on teaching you how to sell and I'm coaching you on how to you know, come up with a, 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 an elevator uh, one minute talk that's gonna be effective, or I'm coaching you on how to handle objections, or I'm coaching you on how to present more effectively. You know, I, I'm like a one-on-one coach that's working on your skills. But in Vistage, most of the issues people have are regarding decisions. We say that leaders are in the business of making decisions, and the more important that the decision the better it is to have multiple perspectives. Because if I'm coaching you, I see one thing and I'm presenting one perspective to you. Other people see it and they're either confirming, denying, or coming up with some something else. So, you know, I was a member for 10 years and I, I remember that I felt like I was in the hot seat when I brought an issue and people were coming at me and my private conversation was, well, they don't know what's going on. They don't really understand. I'm just, oh, they're wrong. Oh, that person doesn't know, you know, I'm, and, and, and then I would begin to, to think about it the next day over the weekend, marinate, and think, well, maybe they have a point. Maybe there's something there. And sometimes I would see people arguing like the arguments in my head, you know, somebody over here arguing this perspective, somebody over here arguing that one. And it's not that anyone's right. That's one of the challenges of of being in a group coaching. It's not that anyone's right. It's just that they have a perspective that might help you have an opening to a blind spot that you're not seeing or an area that you haven't considered or an area that you haven't thought about. So that's that's what I see as one of the big advantages of it. And I'll tell you a little story. Um, I had an architect in one of my groups and I was doing one to one coaching before I started doing uh, my triads. And he says, well, what do you think of my website? Well, as I told you in coach training, you learn that you're not supposed to give advice. You're not supposed to give answers. You always answer a question with another question. Right. So I said, well, what's your ideal outcome? Uh, what kind of feedback are you receiving? He says, no, 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 no. You have an MBA. You were in business. I want to know. This is a New York architect, right? You know, he backs me into the corner, you know, and he says, tell me what you think. Okay, okay, okay. So the other thing I remember from coaching schools, you're supposed to come up with uh, a metaphor that they can relate to. And after a moment, I said, well, uh, honestly, I, I think you should go back to the drawing board. And he goes, oh, what do you think he does? Uh, he quit. No, he didn't quit. He didn't quit. Okay, good. (laughs) Well, that, that would be the worst outcome. Uh, I think he he said, well, okay, you're right. And then he went back to the drawing board and redid the website or he just said, no, no, 
just didn't do anything. Yeah, okay. So about four months later is when I introduced this concept of triads and I said, we're gonna meet three CEOs together. I'm gonna be there to facilitate the conversation. The idea is that you're gonna get multiple perspectives and be able to you know, get better decisions and, and do better in your business. And sure enough, at the very first triad meeting with two other New York CEOs, you know how some people have the same issue every single month? He comes and says, well, what do you guys think of my website? And he shows them their website. And what do you think two other New York City CEOs said to him? It's terrible. It sucks. Yeah. And then what does he do? He, he made the change. Yeah. He made the change. Now, why is it that three people, I mean, I, he said, I have an MBA. I study marketing. I have business. He's asking my expert opinion. I'm the coach, right? But he doesn't do anything. But two other CEOs tell him that it sucks and immediately changes it within weeks. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's a that that's that's a good that's a very good story to to illustrate the power of you know the triad and bringing bringing peers to someone to get them to uh, to take action. Um, you know, I'm curious, have you has your process for um, evaluating people when they're prospective candidates for Vistage. Has that process evolved over the years so that you, do you pick somebody who number one is ready to make changes, right? Cause everybody says they're ready to make changes, but few people really are ready to make changes. And then number two, how does that their role in the group play into your selection process? Because I could be the most eager student. I could be the most eager person ready to accept feedback, but that doesn't make me valuable to the group. That just means that I'm going to do well as a taker, but you need a kind of a balance between givers and takers in your groups. How has your process in vetting people for Vistage evolved over the years so that you get, because I'm in your one of your groups, and I think you have a really good group of people who are both givers and you know good at receiving the advice in a way that they don't take it personally. How do you vet those people to make sure you're getting the right people for the room? It's, I think, one of the largest challenges for a Vistage chair that's putting together a group. Because you know until you have your group together, you have no income. My first year, I made less money than when I was, you know, 16 years old working at McDonald's because it took me so long to uh, to launch a group. Um, and at that point, my my criteria was if you could fog a mirror and and uh, and, and sign an order or sign the, the membership application, you were in. And, and it turned out to be a big mistake. Most of those members didn't stay because I I, I didn't have selection criteria. So over the years. You know, I look for a couple of different things. I look for people that are humble. I mean, the people with the huge egos, the people that already know it all are not going to be good members of a group. I do look for people that are givers rather than takers, you know, using uh, Adam Grant's uh, analogy and asking them questions. I get a sense of of who they are. And I look for people that are, yeah, exactly. Given Adam Grant's book, Given to, it's a fantastic book. I just reread it again. It's a great book. Yes. And, and, and I look for, for people that are passionate learners, you know, that have a learning mindset that are, you know, want to learn, that are going to, you know, that, that's what attracted me to Vistage. That's what still attracts me is because I'm constantly learning. I, I, we bring in speakers for our CEO and our key executive meetings, and I bring the same speaker in to speak to three of my groups three days in a row. So I hear the same three-hour workshop three days in a row. And people say, well, how do you do that? Aren't you bored? And I say, no. I mean, it's like watching a movie or reading a book the second time, like you just read that book, is that when you're a passionate learner, you're looking for new opportunities, new distinctions, new, new actions to take new ways of thinking, new perspectives, but it's a, it's, it's being responsible for your own learning. So I look for that trait, the people that are going to look for what possibilities are there. So those are some of the things that I look for when I'm interviewing um, potential candidates for a group. Yeah. You know, I um, talk to me about, or talk to us about 
that um, that first year. It's really it's really interesting that you said that first year you didn't you know you didn't have anybody. You so I I I work with people who are professional speakers and they want to add coaching and consulting to their uh, to their product or service offering. And one of the things that holds them back from doing a group coaching model is exactly what you said, right? They find somebody and that person would be great for a group, but they don't have a group. And then they got to go find three or four more people so that they have a group. Explain to them, and this is this is really kind of granular, but it'll be helpful for a few people who I know absolutely will listen and watch this show. So you're, you get a couple of people, you're like you run into them, your buddies who are, you know, who are doing other things. And you're like, Hey, I'm forming a group. I got trained. I'm doing this Vistage process. And they say, great, Mark, let us know when the first meeting is. How do you keep their interest if the first meeting isn't for like four months? Like, what do you, what do you do with them? So I started my Vistage practice in 1989, which was when I think we recognized that we were in a recession. We knew we had the, you know, the big financial challenges and the, the banks and the stock market and everything happened in October, November of 2008. But in January, it's like, okay, we were in a recession the last quarter, it's official. And that first uh, member that I told you about earlier, I, I got out of my training. I was introduced to him by a colleague that was in my group in, in Michigan. I went to his office. I talked to him about Vistage and uh, he said, great, I'm in. Sign the application. Oh, this is going to be easy, right? That was in January of 2009. It took me another month before I got another candidate that said, yeah, this sounds interesting. And then of course he says, who else is in your group? Well, guess what? I already have one person and this person is so-and-so. Oh, I know so-and-so. I can't be in the same group with him. I, oh my, I mean, what? A, I mean, this is New York City. What are the chances of that happening, right? I called my, uh, my coach and I asked him, uh, what should I do about it? And he says, take them both to lunch, see if he could work it out. So I did that. And it turned out this was the architect. And uh, the architect uh, had designed a building for the other guy. And uh, Somehow he didn't pay the final bill and there was some, you know, discrepancy there. But I took them over lunch and they worked it out. So then I had two members. And then again, it took me another month. I didn't launch until July. So seven months. And the first guy, I'm meeting with them one-to-one, giving them free coaching. I didn't tell them it was free. Probably it was like April. He says, so by the way, are you going to invoice me for anything? Because <laughs> we don't even invoice until we have a group. So, you know, chairs nowadays are a lot better. They probably read your book and had your coaching at uh, getting a group together in four months. I mean, it took me seven months to do it. And, and I started having meetings when I had four members. So I was at least doing something with them and doing the one-to-one -one coaching to, to keep it warm. But it, it was a struggle. It was really, really hard. All right. So now I want you to take a minute and think about this. I want you to um, I want you to tell folks about uh, the you're you're very successful at what you do. In fact, congratulations. You're number one in the world in terms of Vistage shares for growth and retention of members. So, again, congratulations on that. Being successful, I want you to share with people the percentage of time you spend doing your job versus the percentage of time you spend with business development. Okay. And um, I don't know the answer to this. So I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be a spectator along with everybody else. And I want to hear what it takes you, a seasoned professional who's probably got too much to do already. I want to hear what your business development process is like and how much time you spend. I want you to take a minute and think about it, Mark, because I need to remind people that we're brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. For over 35 years, Sandrowski has helped people with business valuation, litigation support, forensic accountant, accounting, risk management, and one of the things that I talk about all the time when I talk about Sandrowski is what I've seen them do with what's called the qualified small business exemption. So this is a, a little used element in the tax code. In fact, if you ask any CPA, they'll know what it is. And if you ask them if they've used it, they'll say no, because it's something that if you own a business and you're going to sell your business, if you've structured your business appropriately and you're in a couple of specific industries, 
you can exclude almost all of the capital gains from the sale of your business from taxes. Now, listen, I'm not going to be able to tell you the specifics. I can't tell you how it works. That's what Sandrowski is for. And they've made an entire practice out of helping people qualify for this small business exemption. So, in fact, if you want to talk to your accountant about it, it's called QSBS, the Qualified Small Business Exemption. And when you go to Sandrowski, here's what they're going to do. They're going to look at the way your business is organized, look at the way it's structured, and then they will determine what changes you need to make to your business structure which honestly are probably going to be transparent to you as the business owner, the business leader. They'll make the changes. And then there's a five-year period where you have to operate under the appropriate structure in order to unlock the gains or the the exemption from the the capital gains tax that comes from the windfall you get when you sell your business. So here's the thing. When is the ideal time for you to talk to Sandrowski about this? Well, the ideal time would have been when you formed your business, but you didn't do that. You know what? I didn't do it either. The second best time is right now. So reach out to Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. Tell them you heard about the Qualified Small Business Exemption in the tax code. You can call them at 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. That's their phone number. They've been doing this for 35 years. They can help you shelter that uh, revenue windfall from capital gains as much as possible. And listen, Even if your business isn't eligible, they'll probably find another way to save you some money on your taxes. 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, they're a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. So let's say you're a professional. You're a CPA, you're a lawyer, you are an accountant, you're an architect like Mark's first client. You want to grow your business, right? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a gift for free. Go to RevenueRoadmapGuide.com. That's a website. It's all together. RevenueRoadmapGuide.com. Enter your contact info. You can download a free, completely free business development plan. It's my gift to you. It's the same plan I use with my clients. So when my clients sit down with me, I say, listen, we need a business development plan for you. This is the template. I give them the Revenue Roadmap Guide. You're going to get this for free as a gift from me, a gift from Mark, as a thank you for joining us here today. Revenue Roadmap Guide, enter your contact info, download your business development guide right now for free. All right, we're talking with Mark Taylor. He's a Vistage chair. He's a master chair with Vistage. He's also, you can call him a business coach. He's also a professional speaker. He works in New York City. If you want to get a hold of Mark, if you want to join one of his groups, or you just think he's a great guy and you want to book him to speak in front of one of your groups, you can call him at 646 427 3849-646-427-3849. Okay, Mark. So before we went on that brief break, I asked you about business development. Because here's the thing. People don't realize my business, your business, we're in the relationship business. We're in the in the business of not only delivering a valuable service, but we also have to find people that we can deliver the service to. So you're well-established. You've got a great thing going. You've got a bunch of groups. You're highly successful. How much time do you spend today trying to connect with people, build relationships, develop even more business? So I wanted to ask you the question, what do you consider business development? Ah, okay. Now we're having a conversation. (laughs) So business development to me, the way I look at it is like business development is anytime I connect with someone and a relationship is established and I can help that person. That to me is business development because I then keep that person, you know, in my quote unquote database and I communicate with them over time. And at some point, if I've helped them and they got value from me, they may want to return the favor and and introduce me to someone who could do business with me. So when I go to when I go to my son's tennis match and I see Tony, the lawyer who uh, his daughter also plays tennis with my son, I'm doing business development. I'm asking Tony about his family. I'm asking him about his practice. I'm asking him what's going on in his life, seeing how I can help him. When I go to the store, if I'm waiting in a long line and I strike up a conversation with somebody and it turns out they're a business person and you know they're willing to give me their their name and phone number in a non-threatening way, that's business development. So 
I never think I'm off duty from a business development perspective. As long as I can add value to someone's business or to their life in some way, I'm developing a relationship. I may get something out of that down the road. I might not. But to me, every interaction I have with another person where I develop a relationship, that I would consider business development. It's not your classic textbook definition, but that's how I look at it. No, that's that's helpful because... You know, I, I used to do things like, uh, you know, try and connect with people on LinkedIn and try and set up meetings with them. Uh, I, I tried a lot of things, but so far they, they, they just didn't work. And you know, maybe I wasn't any good at them. Um, what I, I've been fortunate in that all of the new members that I have in my groups have come through a referral of some sort. Uh, every single one of them. And, and I have, you know, close to 140 different members right now. I, um, but I spend at least a day a week cultivating those relationships. So that's, you know, they, you know, what you described is, is what I'm doing is I'm, I'm interviewing people, I'm talking to people, I'm helping people that, that aren't members. Um, I'm following up on, uh, on, on meetings. I mean, the group that you're a part of is really considered a kind of business development for me, since I probably have at least 10 or 15 different members that were introduced to me by professionals like you that uh, that I work to, to serve and help and, and assist. I have a, a call every single Monday. Uh, I had one this morning where people can just uh, like open office hours. They can come in with any issue, any question, any decision, and uh, I'm there to help. And whoever else is in the room, I'll facilitate their their help. And and most of the time, there's five to twelve people that uh, show up every single Monday. So I guess in a way, that's business development too, right? Sure. And this, you know, this is this is business development for both of us. Right. So what will happen now is when I'm ready to refer somebody to you for one of your CEO groups, I'm going to take this interview and I'm going to send it to him. I'm going to say, hey, you want to see what this guy's all about here? I grilled him for 45 minutes. Watch the interview. If you like what you see, his phone number is there. Give him a call. And for you, it's business development. You put it up on your website. People can see what you're all about. Having somebody ask you a bunch of questions and, you know, be as invasive as uh, and as much of a pain in the ass as I can be, um, you know, and they see how you handle that. And they're like, well, if they can handle if he can handle this guy, he can handle anybody. So, you know, I think what and this is exactly what I wanted to bring out. We're all in the relationship business and we're all doing business development all the time. You know, one of the things that that bothers me, and um, I'm going to get some coaching from you on this right now. We'll all get coaching from you on this right now. One of the things that bothers me is when I hear people say, oh, I could never be a salesman or, you know, oh, I could never sell or I, oh, I don't want to be salesy. You know, that really bothers me, Mark, because here's the thing. If you've ever convinced your spouse to go to a movie he or she didn't want to go to, or you convinced your kid to eat their vegetables or you, you know, convinced your parents to, uh, it was time for them to stop driving, right? You're selling when you're doing that, you know, giving people advice, helping people. And in business, we help people in exchange for financial compensation. In my opinion, that's what selling is, helping people in exchange for financial compensation. And you can't just be a good lawyer. You can't just be a good coach. I mean, you're a great coach. But you could be a great coach. And if you don't go out and introduce yourself to people, you're the best coach nobody's heard of. Your thoughts? I, I agree. I think that there's a baggage that we carry with the word sales. I, I think of uh, maybe a, a more appropriate word would be influence. Mm. And what is leadership? Leadership is about influencing others. So I think that all sales is, a, is, is leadership. You're influencing others and learning how to influence others in an ethical way where you're serving them with their interests at heart. I mean, I think that that makes a positive impact in the world. I agree. I agree. All right. Let's shift gears a little bit. I want you to take a couple of minutes and talk to us about speaking. I've seen, um, I, I, I see you speak once a month. Uh, I mean, albeit in an informal way, but I've seen your, uh, I see, I've seen your TEDx talk, um, the one you did TEDx Times Square on the triads. 
how have you, uh, how has speaking helped you with your uh, Vistage coaching business? And is speaking, would speaking be enough to be a business for you in and of itself if you decided that was the way you were going to focus? These are tough questions that I haven't thought about. Uh, you know, I, I, I saw my first professional speaker when I was uh, like 18 years old and I was just like, wow, that's what I want to do, you know? And so I was a fan of Zig Ziglar and uh, Tommy Hopkins and, uh, you know, Tony Robbins and all these. Great, they're the greats. That's the Mount Rushmore of speaking right there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so after I sold my business, you know, I was exploring becoming more of a professional speaker. I'd done, I'd been an industry speaker at our, our conferences and, and something about being in front of a room, it sounds very egocentric, but it's almost, you're in an altered state. It's like, you're not yourself. And what I find for me is I'm not thinking about myself. I'm just so engaged in with the audience that it's it, it really is a, a a thrill. And if you make a difference and make a contribution and have people come up to me years later, remembering something that I said in a talk that I gave, I, I, I mean, it just uh, the, the impact that you're able to make is 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 the juice that uh, excites me about it. I. Um, I don't speak as much anymore because I'm I, I, I don't like traveling as much as I used to as I'm getting older. So I made the commitment to uh, to have more groups. I now have eight Vistage groups, which keeps me pretty busy. But I do speak. You know, I'm I, I have a call right after this with the CEO who uh, saw me speak that wants me to come back and speak to her whole company. And, and that's what I really like to do. I mean, I believe that if we can raise the level of leadership effectiveness, that we can positively impact the world. We can impact the, not only the, the, the leaders, but their families, their employees, and, and, and their communities. Uh, the number one problem, and, and you know, we have this great resignation, it's toxic cultures, it's bad managers. People are leaving their managers. They're not leaving um, because of pay. It was like ranked 14th on the top 15 reasons that uh, people leave right now during this great resignation. And I truly believe, and the research validates that the reason why we have so many bad managers is we're not training them how to be leaders. The average person receives their first leadership training when they're 42 years old, 10 years after they became a leader. They have no yeah. idea how to do it. And I truly believe that leadership is learned and it takes practice and it's making mistakes, but uh, that's why I do what I do. Oh, that's great. I love it. All right. Um, I'm going to ask you to give us three things we should take away from our time together. Before we get into that, I want you to help us think through how people should select a coach or a coaching group right? So there's somebody out there right now, maybe in, uh, maybe in Kalamazoo, Michigan, right? I don't know where in Michigan you're from, but I like Kalamazoo because that's where Derek Jeter's from. And I'm a big Derek Jeter guy. So maybe in Kalamazoo, Michigan, there's an executive who's listening to this or watching this on YouTube. And he sits back in his chair and he goes, that Mark Taylor, he's right. I need some help. I got to get in a, a room full of my peers, or I got to get a coach. What questions should people ask a coach or ask about a group before they join? What, how, what should their due diligence be? You know, I would invite them to email me, you know, mark at marktaylor.nyc, wherever they are in the country. And I, I could ask them what they're looking for because I don't serve people in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I only work with uh, New York City CEOs and I don't do private one-on-one -on -one coaching anymore. So I only work with the, with the groups. But I'm willing to help. I'm willing to uh, to be a, a giver there and and talk to anyone for you know 15 minutes and find out what they're looking for, and then I can help them choose. It, 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 there isn't a silver bullet answer to look at this, 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 and this. I mean, bottom line, you have to feel like the the that the person cares, that uh, they're a good fit, that they understand your issues, and and if it's a business person, if it's a CEO. 
I mean, I know that the CEOs that are the best members of groups are CEOs that uh, are stuck in the weeds, maybe, and you know their businesses at. $10 million and it's been at $10 million for the last five years and they don't know how to get out of the out of the weeds. They don't know what to do differently or they're new CEOs. Maybe they just got promoted. Maybe their, uh, you know, their father or their mother started the business and they're a new CEO and they're a little insecure about themselves or like me, they're just passionate learners and they just want to be the best possible CEO, the best leader that they could be. So, I mean, it really depends on what their motivation is, what they're looking for and what they want to get out of it. And I think it's almost a short one-to-one conversation. All right, great. Well, thank you for that offer. We're going to put Mark's email down in the show notes. Uh, I'll give you his, I'll give you his phone number right now. It's 646-427-3849, 646-427-3849. Last question before we get to the three things. Let's talk uh, about accountability, right? Everybody says they want accountability. My experience, Mark, people don't like it when you call them out on stuff they haven't done, right? What is the Mark Taylor approach to uh, the the gentle nudge to the person who said, "Hey, listen, Mark, if I don't, do, I want you to hold me accountable, and if I don't do this, I want you to, I, I want you to call me out on it, right?" And you know damn well they don't want to be called out. <laughs> what is the secret? To, to that accountability piece? I mean, for me, what I found that works is the peer group. So you may have noticed in meetings when somebody says, uh, you know, I'll ask them, what do you want to be held accountable for? And they'll say something and I'll say, who will be this person's accountability partner? And it's not going to be me. Now, maybe that's just slippery because I don't want to do it, but you're right. Uh, the triads is the other thing that works. I mean, somebody says that they're going to do something and they know you're going to meet the two other CEOs and me in a month from now. If they haven't done it, you know, two other New York CEOs are going to ride them like I never, ever would. I'm just too nice of a guy to uh, to yell at them the way some of my CEOs yell at each other. But I think most of the time they're afraid not to have done it because they don't want to face the, face that. Because, you know, that's one of the things about being the CEO. I mean, some people say it's like being the king. Who's going to hold the king responsible? So you really need other kings or other CEOs that that you're willing to to trust and be in a peer group to, to, to hold you accountable. So I, I don't think it's the coach's job. I think it's the group's job. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that. So two two months ago, and, uh, you know, you could be listening to this three years from now. It'll still be relevant. Two months from, Two months ago. I was in one of Mark's groups and I uh, and I talked about some clients who had been with me for a long time and the value they were receiving was far outpacing the investment they were making. Basically, they had been with me for you know a decade and a half and I had never changed my pricing. So the group said to me, hey, you got to do this. This is something that's important. And then I came to the next meeting, not thinking anybody would remember. <laughs> and somebody point blank asked me, what did you do with those people you said you were going to take care of? <laughs> so, yeah, the group model actually does work for that. Um, all right, Mark, thank you so much. Now, I want you to think about three things that we should be taking away from our time together. And as you're doing that, I'll give you a minute. Um, as you're doing that, I'm going to remind folks about Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. You heard me just a few minutes ago talk about the qualified small business exemption. I want to remind those of you who are out there right now who are lawyers, perhaps you're listening, you're watching, and we do have quite a few lawyers who listen and watch, that you're going to need help from a forensic accounting standpoint and from a, the standpoint of litigation support and testifying in court. Here's the thing with a CPA. You could have a brilliant CPA help you analyze a business and they'll give you everything you need. And then it turns out that your case doesn't settle and you have to go to court. What happens? You have to have that CPA take the stand. And I love CPAs, they're brilliant, but many of them have a difficult time explaining to a lay person, to someone who doesn't have a CPA type background, the forensic audit that they did. My friends at Sandrowski are quite different. My friends at Sandrowski Corporate Advisors for years have been able to take those complex financial statements and break them down in language that even a judge can understand. And I say that half tongue in cheek because 
you know, judges went to law school, they didn't go to business school. So when you need someone to really get inside the numbers and present it in a way that is easy to understand, you got to go to Sandrowski. The gentleman who heads up their uh, litigation support and their business valuation practices, a guy named John Alfonsi, who's a, a professor at Northwestern. So he's excellent at explaining things in a way that people can understand them. This is what you need in a CPA when you're looking for litigation support and business valuation help. Reach out to Sandrowski today. Call 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors is a CPA firm with a different perspective. Also, if you haven't already, I don't know what you're waiting for. Pause the program. Go get your Revenue Roadmap Guide. Go to RevenueRoadmapGuide.com. Download your business development plan right now. It's free. I'm giving it to you as a gift. It's the same one I use with my clients. This is going to help you enormously. It's going to give you a guide that you can use to grow your professional practice or your business. All right, Mark Taylor, three things we should take away from our time together. First, consider joining a peer group. That's what we talked about. A peer group can help you see your blind spots, can give you multiple perspectives on the issues that, uh, that you're having. A peer group are people like you in the same size business or in the same type of profession that you're in. So you're, you're not going to feel as isolated. And as the last thing as we talked about is that they'll, they'll help hold you accountable. Uh, the second thing that I would say is don't give advice. Ask questions. That's what we learn in coaching. The best leaders are virtuoso question askers. You want to scale your organization, learn to be a coach, learn to ask questions and, and ask good questions that uh, help the person come up with, uh, with, uh, with their own answer. And then the, the last one that I would say that we talked about is be a responsible learner, be a passionate learner. In every single thing that you do, look for what is it that I learned from this? What was useful in this? You know, think of life as a smorgasbord. It's not every single thing that uh, you know, you, you, that's presented to you that you're going to eat, but look for the one thing that uh, is good for, for your health, that is uh, going to make you feel good and it's going to make a difference in your life and, and put, it into, put it into use. All right, Mark Taylor, thank you so much. Nobody is more useful to CEOs in New York City than Mark Taylor. If you want advice from him on how to pick a coaching group or how to select a coach, or if you're looking to join a peer group and you're in New York City, you need to call Mark at 646-427-3849, 646-427-3849. All of his information is going to be in the show notes directly below uh, where you're watching or listening to this. Mark, it's been an honor having you on. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dave. All righty, folks, that'll do it for another episode of the Inside BS Show. We're here every day with a brand new interview for you. If you like what you heard today and you got enormous value out of our program, even if you got a little value out of our program, give us a hey now down in the comments. That's right, just write hey now or give us a comment about what you like, what you heard that really resonated with you that interaction that's the fuel that keeps us going we really appreciate it until tomorrow my name is dave lorenzo we'll see you right back here until we meet again here's hoping that you make a great living and live a great life